Hi, I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. Today, we're talking about the last remaining truly wild horse. While many feral domestic horses are called wild, there is only one true wild horse species left on Earth. The Shabowski horse, it's also known as the Mongolian wild horse. This endangered species is the closest living relative of the domestic horse. It's close, but not the same. We're going to find out what makes it different and how it recovered from once being considered extinct in the wild. We're also talking to Dr. Oliver Ryder, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance Clayburg Endowed Director of Conservation Genetics, and Gavin Livingstone, the curator of mammals at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Rick, let's start with the origin of the name Shavosky's horse. How did this horse get such an interesting name? Now, that is a question we get quite often, Ebony. Usually right after, how do you say that horse's name? Because it is not spelled like it sounds. But the history of the name comes from an army officer, a well-known Russian explorer named Nikolai Shavosky. Now, he presented a skull and a hide of the rare horse to scientists at a museum in St. Petersburg after one of his many explorations into Central Asia. And they used his last name to officially name the species. It turns out that the horse was actually discovered and described earlier, but Nikolai Shavalsky's name remained. A little fun fact too, there is also a gazelle species bearing his name as well. That is a fun fact. So not to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm curious about Shavalsky. What do we know about the army officer's mission? Did it include surveying wildlife or did he just stumble across what later became known as the Shavosky horse and the Shavosky gazelle? Well, Nikolai Shavosky was a Russian imperial geographer who studied at the military academy in St. Petersburg. And although he was a military officer, throughout his career, he led many expeditions and became a renowned explorer of Central and East Asia. Part of his work, like many explorers at that time, was to bring back plant and animal and even rock specimens for a scientific description. So, for example, on his 1870 to 1873 expedition, he collected 5,000 plants as well as over 3,000 insects, 1,000 birds, and brought back 200 other animals and animal skins. Oh, I get it. So kind of like a, a Lewis and Clark. So why might Shabalski's sighting of this wild horse inspire further investigation? Was this animal so different from the animals found in Russia at the time? Well, yeah, the Shavalsky's horse is so special because it is a true wild horse. The species has never been domesticated. Now, I know some might say, oh, but wait, Rick, what about the American Mustang that you can see roaming freely in parts of North America? Well, yes, although they are in the wild, American Mustangs are descendants of domestic horses that found their way out into the wild and adapted to life without humans. When we compare this to the Shavalsky's horse, much like the zebra, they have never been successfully domesticated. Okay, wait. People tried to domesticate zebras? You are full of fun facts today. <laughs> so what are some of the physical characteristics that make the Shavalsky horse different than the domestic horse of today? Okay, well, Ebony, I'll do my best to describe the physical features of the Shavalsky's horse. So hopefully our listeners can imagine the, the picture of them in their mind, if you will. When we compare the domestic horse to the Shavalsky's horse, the Shavalsky's horse is stockier. It's a little bit shorter. Their belly is sometimes described as a pot belly compared to other horses, so a little more in the round area. 
let's see, their mane is dark in color and it stands upright, similar to a zebra's mane. It doesn't fold over. And now their overall coloration may vary in shades, but I think it's fair to say the Swarovski's horses have a sand or tan coloration with a lighter color on their belly, darker on the back. And they have a long dark stripe on the back that goes from the withers to the base of their tail. Their legs and mane are darker than the body, almost a deep brown coloration. And get this, they do not have that little lock of hair on the forehead known as the forelock like domestic horses. Another notable difference is their head, which is more rectangular than the domestic horse's head and a bit larger in comparison to the rest of the body. Yeah, from pictures, I can see the stockiness. So Rick, the Shavosky horse was found in Mongolia, which is known for, among other things, its harsh winters. Is the Shavosky horse like especially equipped to survive in the cold? Oh yes, absolutely, Ebony. They have some really interesting adaptations from what their body does to certain behaviors they have. Um, for example, they grow thick, warm coats for the winter. Uh, this includes long beards and long hair on the neck for added insulation. These coats are important during these harsh winters because temperatures can often stay at or below freezing for long durations. And when it comes to behavior, check this out. In high winds, the Shavalski's horses will turn their backs to the storm and tuck their tail tightly between their back legs. This behavior of turning the head away from the wind helps protect the eyes and the nostrils, and with their rump to the wind, well, tucking the tail protects the sensitive reproductive parts from those severe winds. How about the social structure? What are the herd social dynamics of the Shabowski horse? I'm so glad you asked this, Ebony, because every species seems to be a little bit different when it comes to social structure. And when species live in a herd, it's always fascinating to find out if they're matriarchal, patriarchal, or something completely different even. When it comes to the Shavalski's horses, they live in two kinds of distinct social groups that can become pretty large if given the opportunity. The first social group is known as a harem, led by one dominant male or stallion, and anywhere from a few to upwards of 10 females known as mares, and of course the offspring of those mares as well. They will stay with that herd up to two to three years of age. The other kind of social group is a bachelor group or bachelor herd, this is a group made up of stallions too old to stay with their birth herd, but still too young to challenge a dominant stallion for the rights to lead a harem. Rick, I love learning about the family dynamics, especially the connection between the offspring and its mom. So how does this group dynamic influence the Shabowski horse's behavior? Well, Ebony, when it comes to the harem members, they really do everything together. They will graze and rest at the same time, they will spend a lot of time grooming one another, which is always so important for social bonds. And they will do this by standing side by side, head to tail, and nibbling at one another's back and sides, reaching those spots they can't reach on their own. So it's not just good for social bonding, but also good for keeping the herd healthy and clean. And when we look at the bachelor herds, they will do many things together, but the bonds are a little looser as males will come and go when challenging other males for the position to lead a harem. And you will also see a lot more mock fighting within the bachelor herd. This is an important skill for the less seasoned stallions to learn and practice as they will need to take on a dominant male at some point. It sounds similar to the domestic horses in many ways. So is the domestic horse simply a domesticated Shabowski horse. 
Ah, yes, Ebony, they do seem very similar and quite possibly just the domestic and wild versions of the same species. But get this, the most recent scientific studies that look at DNA and genomes have uncovered that the wild ancestors of the domestic horse originated in Eastern Asia about 160,000 years ago, a similar region to where the Shabalski's horses can be found. This ancestral species of wild horse has long been extinct, but the domestic horse, which was domesticated about 6,000 years ago, lives on today. Similar research shows us that the Shavalski's horses and the domestic horses did have a shared ancestral species, but the Shavalski's horse diverged from them prior to the domestication of the current or modern horse. This is seen in the fact that the Shavalski's horses have 66 chromosomes, whereas the modern domestic horse has 64. I have so many questions, but I'll save them for our conversation with the scientists coming up. So we'll keep going. Rick, at one point, the IUCN Red List assessment determined the Shavalski horse was extinct in the wild. That was in 1970. What was done to turn that around? Oh, yes, Ebony. It really is an amazing story, and it really highlights, too, the importance of zoos when it comes to wildlife conservation. So, by the 1950s, there were just 12 Shavalski's horses in zoos, and the wild population was dwindling. Zoologists in Germany took note of this, and along with conservation groups, they worked to save the species. By 1965, there were 134 horses living in 32 zoos. Unfortunately, due to a combination of overgrazed pastures and deadly winters, the last sighting of a Shavalski's horse in the wild was around 1969. If it wasn't for the population still remaining in zoos, we would have lost the species forever. The zoos continued to work together, and the population grew. In 1992, 16 Shavalski's horses were reintroduced into their native habitat in Mongolia. And as of 2011, the world's population is about 1,400, and new populations continue to be reintroduced to reserves in their native lands. And although they are still an endangered species, the most recent population surveys show that their numbers are increasing, which is always a good trend to see. Yes, that's great news. Rick, what can you tell us about the Shavalski's horses at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park? Oh, yes, Ebony. We have a little bit of history there with the Shavalski's horses as well. In 1969, we had our first Shavalski's horse birth at the San Diego Zoo. And shortly thereafter, we established a breeding herd at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Over 160 Shavalski horses have been born at the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park, and their offsprings have been sent to other zoos and reintroduction projects around the world. Now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the zoo. The koala has been declared an endangered species in Queensland, New South Wales, and the Australian Capital Territory. Koala populations in these areas have continued to show declines over the last decade. The situation reached a critical point due to losses experienced during the catastrophic megafires experienced in Australia in 2020. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance experts Dr. Kelly Lee and Dr. Bill Ellis have both presented data to Australian government officials showing the critical status of the koala populations. Reports were submitted to both the Queensland and Australian Commonwealth governments as far back as 2009, showing that the koala was in danger and should be listed as an endangered species. Work will continue to protect and reconnect koala habitats and support these populations. 
We're continuing our conversation about the last living truly wild horse, the Chabosky's horse. The endangered animal was once listed as extinct in the wild. Now there's an estimated 2,000 remaining. The San Diego Zoo Safari Park is home to a dozen or so Chabosky's horses. They are under the care of Gavin Livingston. He's the curator of mammals at the Safari Park. He's joining the conversation along with Dr. Oliver Ryder, the Clayburg Endowed Director of Conservation Genetics with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Ebony. Thank you for having us today, Ebony. So, Gavin, what is a curator of mammals? Well, so a curator of mammals basically oversees the care of our animals and the teams that care for our animals at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. So we oversee the high-level planning, our conservation breeding programs, and then making sure that our teams have the resources that they need to successfully care for the wildlife that we've been entrusted with. And how does a curator of mammals, how does that position connect to the endangered animals conservation plan? So it connects in several ways. A lot of my role is involved in our cooperative management breeding programs through the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, and those are called species survival plans. And with those SSPs, my role makes sure that we maintain genetic diversity for all of our endangered species breeding programs at the safari park. And so that's kind of our main conservation tie-in. And then additionally, a lot of times a curator will work with our partners in the field to make sure that we're able to apply the knowledge that we learn from wildlife in our care and then apply that to make sure that our field partnerships and potential reintroduction efforts are successful. Speaking of conservation, Dr. Oliver Ryder directs the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance's Wildlife Biodiversity Bank, which includes the frozen zoo. Dr. Ryder, in 2020, scientists used frozen cells that had been stored in the frozen zoo for decades to clone a Shavosky horse foal named Kurt. Why? Why was this done? Why was so much effort put into this? Why was it needed? During the long period of management of Shavosky's horses under human care, a large portion of its gene pool has been lost because of population bottlenecks, for example, during the Second World War. So the potential, the genetic capital of Chivalsky's horses having been lost, we could utilize the methods of population management to restore it if we could take cells that had been banked in our frozen zoo and produce animals with those. Now that's possible through cloning technology so that we have a choice of a large number of individuals whose living cells are banked in the frozen zoo. And we chose one particular individual because if he were alive, he would be the genetically most valuable stallion. He would be able to contribute genetic diversity that was lost from the living population under human management. So when we hear that a birth is the result of cloning techniques, what does that really mean? What's being done? Well, Kurt, the Chivalsky's horse foal, was born to a surrogate mother. It happened to be an American quarter horse. But the egg in which he developed was also from a domestic horse. But his chromosomes are completely derived from Chivalsky's horses. So it's a method of producing an embryo that has the genetic contributions of Chivalsky's horse chromosomes to produce a foal that then has this desired genetic diversity. 
And speaking of that, I read that the Shavalsky's horse have 66 chromosomes. What's the significance of the Shavalsky's horse having 66 chromosomes? What does that mean? Well, that's a great question, Ebony. Dr. Kurt Benershka, after whom the foal is named and the founder of the frozen zoo, was the first person to show that the chromosome numbers of Shavalsky's horses, which were 66, were different from those of domestic horses. All domestic horses have 64 chromosomes. Over the mammals, when species have a different number of chromosomes, it's very clear that they're separate species. So this finding of the chromosomal difference was a strong genetic suggestion that the Pshavalski's horse was different significantly from uh, domestic horses. Why do scientists take so much effort to maintain genetic diversity? Why is genetic diversity so important? Well, it's important for a lot of reasons. And Ebony, we don't know all of them yet. But we know from studies for many years that individuals that have higher genetic diversity are more likely to be successful, more likely to be able to resist diseases, more likely to be able to be fecund and have uh, numerous offspring. And in populations that have lost their genetic diversity, we say that their fitness is reduced because they may not have this resiliency that comes from genetic diversity. So what's next in the conservation plan for the Shavosky's horse? And what might your role be? I'll start with Gavin. I think that the future of Shavalsky horse conservation is really bright. Continued conservation breeding efforts in human care that support reintroduction efforts of Shavalsky's horses are some of the most tangible efforts that zoological facilities are doing to support Shavalsky horse conservation. And as a curator, my role in that is my teams of wildlife care professionals maintain a thriving, healthy, and fulfilled group of Shavalsky horses at the safari park. And through that, we're able to work on our collaborative efforts with other zoological parks, and then hopefully, you know, support reintroducing more Shavalsky horses back into their native range. Dr. Ryder? I think it's a remarkable thing that a species that, as it was discovered by Western scientists, was already in precipitous decline and then became extinct in the wild, but thanks to the efforts of zoological parks under human care, Pshavalski's horses have survived and are now being reintroduced back into their native habitat. And Gavin, we've been speaking about the Shavalski's horse, but there are many other animals under your care. Are you particularly concerned about any other animals under your care in regards to conservation? Absolutely, Ebony. I mean, unfortunately, the nature of the work we do at the safari park means that many of the species that we work with are threatened with extinction. I mean, potentially species like the southern white rhino, the slender horned gazelle, dama gazelle, or even the Somali wild ass are all threatened with extinction in their native range um, due to a, a myriad of challenges. Fortunately, the bright spot in that, though, is that we have organizations like the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance who are taking a multifactorial approach to conservation efforts. And I think with a lot of dedicated organizations and passionate professionals like we have at the Wildlife Alliance, these species stand a fighting chance. And Dr. Ryder, is cloning the future of conservation? You know, it shouldn't be. We should be able to save species by preserving functional ecosystems and habitats that support thriving populations of wildlife. But in fact, we're now experiencing an accelerating rate of extinction of species due largely to human impacts. So I think we serve the interests of the future 
and the survival of wildlife populations best by having as many cards in our hand as we can. So maintaining protection for ecosystems, having protected areas, having interaction with human populations that support thriving populations of wildlife, if those are insufficient, using the tools of conservation, breeding under human care, and these advanced genetic and reproductive technologies that for the really the first time allow us to bring back lost genetic variation will afford a better chance to save more species. And us undertaking these efforts now, I think will be appreciated uh, in the future. Yes, and that wraps up our conversation about the Shavalski's horse. Thanks to Gavin Livingston and to Dr. Oliver Ryder for that fascinating conversation. Thanks so much, Ebony. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you learned a lot about the Shavosky's horse. Be sure to subscribe and tune into next week's episode in which we bring you the story of the efforts to bring back a tree-dwelling island dweller. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, please visit sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton, and our executive producer is Marcy DePina. Our audio engineer and editor is Sierra Spring. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.